Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. Well, hello. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining a light on sex and disability. I am your host, Andrew Gerza. So as I've been doing the podcast, I've been asking people on my social media, what kind of programs do you want me to produce? What kind of stuff do you want me to talk about? What kind of things does the disabled community and non-disabled community want to hear about sex and disability. What what topics can I bring sh- can I bring a light to and shine a bright light on? Well, when I did that, almost every single time I've done that, and I've done it about six or seven times now to get a really good kind of overview of what my audience wants and what you guys want to listen to, and the the kind of content that you want me to produce or look into producing. A lot of people said, can you please, please, Andrew, can you do an episode on BDSM, kink, and disability? And I was like, okay, all right, well, sure, for sure. It just so happens that about two months ago, I was contacted by somebody who was like, hey, I do BDSM, kink stuff in the fetish community, and I want to talk to you and be on your show. I love your work. I'd love to talk with you. And I was like, holy wow, let's do an interview and then we went back and forth about finding a time to record and then we I had recording issues and disability things happened where we couldn't record and finally we sat down and then it sat in my vault of pre-recorded stuff just until now for me to figure out how to release it how to talk about it what kind of stuff to do to how to how to bring the episode out and I wasn't sure until I got a bunch of requests this past week to do an episode on BDSM and kink. So let me tell you about who my guest was and kind of the overview of the episode and then we'll get right to it. My guest for this episode was Master Severin Kane. And I'm just going to pull up their bio. Master Severin Kane is a BDSM master, alternative lifestyle presenter, and fetish performer active in the BDSM community since 2006. He has presented seminars and workshops on the subject of sexuality, and BDSM at over 25 conventions and events over the years, 
as well as demystifying the BDSM lifestyle at local community centers and universities. He's been featured as a guest on a number of podcasts, over a dozen in fact, including Massacast, The People of Kink, Erotic Awakening with Dan and Don, Sex with Tima Marie, etc., as well as national and international radio programs. He's also hosted his own theme, his own BDSM theme podcast, King Confessions, which is currently on hiatus. Master Severin has organized over 100 community events over the years and was the founder, organizer, and host of the Q City Kink Alternative Lifestyle Festival, which was celebrated annually in Quebec City, Canada, from 2002 to 2005. So, I mean, really, who better to sit with me then and talk about kink than Master Severin Kane? And that's what we're going to do. And here's so here's my sexy, kinky interview with Master Severin Kane right here on the Premier Podcast, shining a light on sex and disability, disability after dark. Severin Kane, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm very well, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so, so happy to have you here. I kind of told the audience a little bit about who you are before we jumped into the interview portion, but why don't you give us, why don't you say hello to the audience and tell us who you are? Okay, well, hello to uh, your listeners. Uh, my name is uh, Master Severin Kane. I've been in the BDSM lifestyle for about 15 years. Uh, the first five years, uh, I was attending events, but uh, not really presenting myself or uh, wasn't really participating in the activities. I was just kind of walking through the shadows and, and getting to know more about the community. And uh, I've been active in the community for about 10 years now. And by that, I mean, I've been going regularly to munches and events. And uh, I've got uh, uh, very busy in the community doing events and conferences uh, as well over the years. Yeah, I can see just from your dossier that you do quite a lot in the community, which I think is great and important. Um, I've talked a little bit on the show about about control and a little bit about kink that I like, but can you kind of explain to me and and for the listeners kind of your ideas around BDSM and your the way you categorize it? Okay. Um, well, for me, I... I divide BDSM into three categories. So I, div- I divide it into the fetish aspect, uh, the kink, t- kink aspect, and more the sadomasochism aspect. Uh, and I'll just define the three of them quickly. So sadomasochism would be the play that has to do more with sensation, pushing personal boundaries uh, with um, sadism. So uh, getting excited from giving pain to someone or pushing someone in physical limits. And uh, masochism, you know, the opposite, being the person who's getting pushed. And uh, kink for me is the sexual side of uh, BDSM. And fetish for me are the aspects where people have a a specific fetish, whether it's a fetish for hair or hands um, or a specific type of clothing, for example. Right. Yeah. And so... And so of those three, like I would say for myself, I enjoy the um, the idea of having my boundaries pushed because as a disabled person, we're so often given so many boundaries around what we're, quote, allowed and not allowed to do. 
So I've talked a little bit about how on the show in other episodes, how I like pushing those boundaries with people because of um, my experiences. So I, I'm really, really interested in that part of it. How do you, do you, in, in the work you do, do you see a lot of individuals living with disability? You know, unfortunately we don't. And um, I think the reason for that, one of the reasons anyways, is that many of the events or the munches that are held are, are not accessible for most people with disabilities. Uh, for example, it'll be a um, second floor of a building or something and there's no wheelchair access or uh, you know something similar to that. It's unfortunate because I think that um, anybody living with any kind of disability belongs or should be welcomed into the community and right. that they shouldn't feel um, afraid to, uh, to come out uh, I find that people who live the BDSM lifestyle are some of the most kind and welcoming people that uh, I have ever met and people who are very not judgmental, people that will not judge you for anything that you have. Uh, I live with a, a disability, but mine is a is an invisible disability. So I have one that uh, I deal with, which is an illness from I deal with inside, but it still limits me in many ways. Um, would you be open to sharing that with us? Uh, yeah. Uh, when I was 21 years old, I was diagnosed with a disease called ulcerative colitis. And ulcerative colitis is um, part of what we call inflammatory bowel disease. And IBD consists of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Now, this causes a lot of um, symptoms and side effects which causes me to be very weak in many times. Uh, it affects, it could affect my balance. It could affect uh, my ability to, to just move around because of all the pain that I'm, I'm experiencing. Right. Yeah, so it's, uh, it sets a lot of limits, personal limits for me that make it difficult. Uh, and I've, I've just uh, started doing or giving a, um, a conference on BDSM and disability. And one of the things that I discuss is uh, you know, when we have a disability or a disorder of some kind, well, we're already starting with limits put upon us from our physical body. And we want to push certain limits with BDSM, but we're already starting with limits. So we have to find a way to be able to, um, to comfortably and uh, successfully, you know, push those limits without uh, pushing ourselves too far. Yeah, totally. I think I think we have, to, um, but I think we need to talk about limits within the disability community also because I, it's funny. I, I was doing some work the other day and I saw a lot of memes on my. I see it all the time in the work that I do, talking about how disability has no limits and and life without limits. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, well, there are limits. And so I think what's important about about discussions around BDSM and kink and fetish and all that stuff is that you. That community openly discusses limits, and I think that's an important um, thing for the disabled community to start talking about. I agree. I agree that uh, it's a subject that is rarely talked about, and uh, just BDSM is rarely talked about, or any form of sexuality, to be honest. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody living with a disability has as much of a sexuality as, as someone without a disability. And uh, I think you know, there should be more opportunity for people to talk about uh, about those things. And uh, I think that it's coming along slowly. 
And, you know, like uh, something like your podcast, which I think is a wonderful thing that gives an opportunity for people living with disability to talk and to, to hear certain subject matter that they may not hear uh, otherwise. Thank you. I think it's, I, I, I mean, I love what I do and I love the work I do. And I did it, I started doing it because I didn't see, you know, podcasts or media talking about sex and disability. And I mean, in the King community right now, I see a lot of individuals, if they're able to get in the space, living with disabilities, they will say, oh yeah, I'm into this kink, I like this, or I like leather, or I like this, or I'm into this. Um, but if they can't access it, then I, then I feel like they're, they are, they just, they're not able to, to really share their, their love of kink and BDSM. Right. Um, it's, it's important for some people to be a part of a community. And, uh, you know, for yourself, you took the initiative to make a difference. And, um, and like you said, you know, there was no podcast talking about these subjects. So, you know, you're one of these kind of people that actually takes the initiative to make change. And hopefully there'll be more people who also take the initiative to make change and maybe organize more events or munches that cater to people with uh, BDSM, uh, sorry, with disability and who are interested in BDSM. Uh, I don't, I don't think that it should be segregated. I don't think there should be individual events outside of the regular community. No, I don't think so either. Um, I think but the visibility is, is so important. Yeah, but some people might. I, I'm not sure. I don't, um, I don't have many friends who have specific uh, disabilities so to talk to them and ask them, but I've talked to a few people during my workshops and uh, they would like kind of the option of both. They'd like the option to be able to go to the overall community and also on occasion having maybe events specifically just for people with PDS, with a disability. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand that. I think it's important because we so rarely have these events. I mean, any big event around sexuality, generally there's like a peppering of, and I say peppering, there's like literally a peppering of people with disabilities, like peppered here and there throughout the conference. Um and I've been to conferences where, like, I'm one of, like, five people with disabilities or visible disabilities that are there. Um, I was at an event last evening where I was the only wheelchair user at the event. So I know how it feels like to be one of only a few at a big, giant event. Mm -hmm. And every, everybody sees you there and wants to, like, engage with you about disability because they don't really know. They, they, you know, you're one of the five of the people that they're seeing there in a, in a wheelchair or using a mobility device. So I think... Events where there is a little bit of segregation in a nice, polite kind of way, just saying this is this space is not for everybody right now. This is just for individuals living with disabilities so they can have a safe space to say, hey, I'm into this kink or hey, I want to talk about this fetish or hey, I'd like to talk about this dom sub thing I want to, I want to learn more about from somebody who's living a similar experience. Right. And I encourage anybody who is listening to your program that has a disability that wants to be part of the community to uh, to do two things one to uh to know that the community welcomes them and two to maybe contact the organizers and ask them if there's a way that they can participate because i think a lot of the organizers don't really think about when they're organizing event and i think if they had suggestions or people contacting them saying oh, you know i'd like to participate at your munch could you make it somewhere where it's accessible for me i think it would help them a lot uh in organizing yeah, and I think that they need to hear from the community of people who are in people with disabilities who are into BDSM, and to say, 
uh, to, to have them say like, hey, I want to, you know, let me help you use my use my lived experience as a disabled kinky person to guide you in making a better event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really lacking. And I also think it's because people with disabilities, I'm into kink. I really I really am, am learning a lot about myself through. I mean, I don't go to a lot of events again because of the accessibility issue. But when I'm allowed to experience kink um, and to experience it with a partner, I realize how much I like it because because of, of how much sexuality is expressed there and how much it's typically denied for somebody with a disability. So I'm learning very much about myself through kink and through BDSM. And I mean, I don't do it very often, again, because finding finding somebody who's willing to go that, that far with somebody with a disability is very rare. Typically, they want to... Typically, I am their kink, and I don't mean that in any offensive way. I'm just saying because of my disability and it's so involved just to have any kind of sexual contact with me is a big deal Mm -hmm. so when i push it and say hey i actually want to do this or i'd like to try this that's like a whole other level of like okay how do we do that now wow wow okay like i just got past the fact that you're disabled and now you want to do what so (laughs) yeah that's something that i that i'm uh that i'm working through right now just to learn kind of what I like and I think also that kink for me has allowed for me to find out the limits of my disability and what the reality versus the fantasy is well it's important because I think we all take um, we all participate in BDSM for that reason to uh, to learn more about ourselves and to add to our, our personal sensual and sexual journey in life and uh you know, like you said, it's it's important to you, and I can tell the way that you're talking about it that you're passionate about it, about learning more about it and experiencing more. Uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm I'm new to it. Like, so when anybody talks to me about kink, I don't pretend like I know everything. I'm very like, wow, I'm green because again, sexuality for me, and I and I've mentioned this before, sexuality for me has been, I have a very high sex drive, but my ability to engage in anything sexual or play or or all that kind of stuff that I'm really curious about has been stunted because people are so afraid to engage with me sexually. But when I, so what I love about the King community and I love it, especially in, you know, queer, queer male spaces from what I see, like people who are really into the, the leather scene and all that stuff. I really admire that because they have said basically, fuck it. Here's, here's what we want to express. Here it is. And I always feel akin to that because I too really, really want to share my expression of sexuality with other people, and I feel like kink can facilitate a lot of that. Would you? What would you think would be the reason that somebody would have difficulty playing with you? Do you think it would be because they're afraid of hurting you? I think, yeah, I think that's a big one. I was with somebody recently a few months ago, and I said I want. I, I asked them to be rough, and. They stopped and went, are you sure? Are you really sure? And I said, no, no, go ahead. It's okay. Be rough. And I had to make them really comfortable with the fact that I wanted them to be rough. And I had to spend a good like five or six minutes before we got into the play explaining to them that it's okay. I understand what's happening. You're not going to hurt. Like, if you hurt me, I will use the word we chose and we'll stop. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be fun. Like, I, I had to lay it out. So by the time we actually got to the play, I was bored. And I was like, well, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. Um, 
so yeah, I do think there's a lot there's a there's a predisposed fear that people have to hurting the innocent disabled person. Mm-hmm. Um and I get that a lot with partners even just in regular non kink related play, there's so much discomfort because we've been taught as a society that you're not supposed to hurt the guy in the wheelchair. Right. Um right. I th- I think society has kind of created this stigma where anybody who's dealing with a disability seems like somebody who's maybe vulnerable and weak. But in my experience, anyone that I've met that's uh, disabled, they're very strong people and they need to be strong to uh, to be able to get by every day and to deal with, with their limitations on a daily basis. I agree. I think I think that disabled people are very strong, but I also think that we're allowed to be vulnerable and weak and we're allowed to we're allowed to also share that side. So in a lot of the sex play that I engage in, I fully access my vulnerability with partners and, and say like, yeah, this is my reality and this is okay. Um, and what I love about kink, if it's done correctly, at least, at least in my experience is that it's, you can access all that stuff and still have a good time mm-hmm. without, without it being uncomfortable. Have you, is that something you've experienced in, in your, in your um, work or play? Uh, what exactly? The, um, you know, feeling get get getting in touch with vulnerability and all those things to engage in the play better on a personal level, on my own, you mean? On your own, or or professionally, like doing the workshops you do, do you, being able to share that experience with people. Yeah. Is, do you have to tap into a level of vulnerability? I'm I'm very transparent, so it's I find it easy for me to be to show my vulnerability, and uh, of course, in the role of a dom in society, you know, I should be a, I should be a. a a wall, you know, a wall of emotions and strong and able to, t- to handle anything. But behind my role as a dom, I'm also a human being. So I'm not ashamed of showing my vulnerability or talking about my vulnerability uh, because I think it adds more credibility to my role as a dom because I can be sensitive to other people's needs and, and I, I can express my own needs. And uh, I have no fear of, of vulnerability. I, and I even encourage people to be to be vulnerable around me uh, because I don't see people as expressing their vulnerability as being weak. I see it as, you know, there's a difference between celebrating and honoring your vulnerability and showing that you're human rather than hiding behind the wall of fear of vulnerability. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. Um, I wanted to ask you about a little bit more about your disabilities and so that you are, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're, you're a dominant Yes. Yep. Entirely in your whole, your whole way through your whole life, you're dominant. Yes, that's how absolutely. You... Yeah. I, Whether I'm in the I dungeon don't... or outside the dungeon, I'm. <laughs> I'm a, some some of my friends call me a control freak because I have to, I cannot let go of of control ever. Um, and so I'm, which is that's great. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious about the connection between your dominant role and your disability. You were mentioning earlier that your disability because of what occurs in your body and all the things that happen to you as a result of that, it makes you feel weak and tired and because of all the issues that are occurring there. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've chosen a do- to be a dominant partly because of that that's happening to you? That's an interesting question. Um, but as for choosing to be a dominant, I, I feel like I'm a naturally dominant. I've always been naturally dominant within myself. Uh, now, when it comes to the aspect of, see, my 
disability, I feel like it controls my body. So being naturally dominant and feeling that I can't have control over my body is what I, what I tend to call a mind fuck. <laughs> and on a daily, on a daily basis, it's, it's a mind fuck because there's so much that I would like to do or I'd want to do. And I try to push my limits. And sometimes I can't get as far as I'd like to because of the limitations my body puts on me. And um, it, I tend to be a little hard on myself sometimes because of it. But then I have to remind myself that there's not much I can do because I'm kind of living within this shell. And within this shell, well, it's the shell that's going to determine what I'm capable of doing, you know, this day or tomorrow. Right. And that's why that's why I, I'm curious about your role as a dominant. I, so I'm seeing the connection between your dominance, natural dominance, and the role you've taken on and the, the linkages between your disability. So you're saying like, in part, I think whether you, maybe you realize it or not, subconsciously you're saying I'm going to be dominant because this disability is a mindfuck and I'm going to do whatever I can to um, to not overcome the disability, but to to be dominant outside of it so that I feel like I have control over something. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Well, I have to learn to accommodate to my body's limitations the best I can. And um, it's it's not easy. And like I said, it's a physical thing that I'm dealing with, but it affects me emotionally and psychologically on many days too. You know? Of course. And um, so, yeah, learning to accommodate and... Even when I get used to something, because I've been living with it for about 20 years. And uh, so over 20 years, I found a way to, to, to live with it. And recently, I've gone through a few surgeries. So everything that I was used to before the surgeries and able to, to have some control over my body, well, I lost all that after the surgeries. So now after the surgeries, I'm, um, I'm healing after the surgeries. And I find that not only do I have the limitations from the illness that I have, but now I have added uh, limitations from um, post-surgery. Yeah, so after the surgeries. So I'm even weaker now than I was with the disease before. And add on top of that, I, you know, the medication. <laughs> so now you're taking medication for the illness or for after the surgery, which ends up taking any other energy that you've had. So... It's very so challenging. All, it's very challenging. Yeah, totally. Of course, of course. How does all of that affect your play, if I can ask? Well, I've learned. Well, I am learning <laughs> to um, to not push myself as much in a in a short period of time. And by that, I mean, if I was able to do a scene for an hour or an hour and a half before, well, now I have to do three scenes within an hour. Instead of one long scene, I have to do a 15-minute scene and then take a rest and then do another scene and then take a rest. So I'm, I'm learning to do that now. And uh, so I'm kind of finding new ways to accommodate uh, my current uh, challenges. So there's, there's that, there's the resting, there's changing my diet, um, meditation, a lot, of, a lot of different ways to try to deal with it. But it, so, so would you say that, it's, that your disability is... is is transforming the way you view your dominant lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. And it, it, it did in the past, and now it's transforming it in a different way. And would you say there's... The, now, you've talked about some of the, the, 
the ways you've had to kind of change things around. Would you say there's a positive to that? There's a positive because I'm learning, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a control freak and uh, it's not easy for someone who's naturally dominant to give up control. So I'm learning to be easier on myself and to give up a bit of the control that I try to have over my body and over the situation. So if anything, it's kind of allowing me to kind of meet myself again and to, to, to get to know myself in a different way. But this time I'm learning to be a little easier on myself and put less pressure on myself. Totally. And I think, I think also what you'll find is that you can, by not, not giving up control, but by transforming how you look at control um, in the work you do and in your personal sex life, I think you will find that kind of accessing the vulnerability a little bit more than the control side might might bring you to a different place than you were before. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but I want to talk about your thoughts around fetishism and disability because I now there's a big push in in the disability community to not be fetishized. Um, and I've talked about this a little bit before. <laughs> what are your thoughts on disability fetish? Do you have any thoughts on it? I, I'll, <laughs> I'll say from the beginning, you're, you're, it's definitely a controversial topic. I've heard two sides of this, of this story. And um, for example, I've also seen a website. Um, I don't remember the name at this moment, but it's people who have different kind of disabilities. Um, anything from mobility issues to amputations, and it's it's a fetish website that caters to people living with these kind of uh, conditions, and they enjoy being fetishized. I don't know if you yeah. know what the website I'm talking about, but uh, I don't. Okay, and it's and they're posing in very sexual positions, and uh, it's a very based on erotic and sexuality. And I think there's about, I'm guessing, maybe 30 models on it. And I can see that they enjoy it. It doesn't seem like it's um, exploiting. They seem like they really enjoy what they're doing and they feel sexy. You can tell in the photos, they look like they're very enjoying it. Um, Do I agree with fetishizing it? No. But do I agree that it exists as a fetish? Yes. And as long as the two people are consenting to it and no one's being exploited, well, under those circumstances, then I then I say yes, I agree with it because, um, you know, we're talking about consenting adults here. Yeah, I mean, I think disability fetish. I am okay with it under the pretense of if my wheelchair is gonna, if me being in a chair is part of the reason why you're gonna get off. Great. Let's why don't we let's play with that. Right. Uh, but if you're gonna use my disability as something to uh, to disable me further or make me this parody of myself for you to get off, then no, I, I can't engage with that. But I feel like disability fetish is, is okay. I always say that, you know, I have a thing for guys with red hair and big dicks. That's a fetish. So why couldn't somebody <laughs> get, turned, get turned on by somebody in a chair? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot more people who, um, who don't talk openly about that kind of specific fetish. I think there are a lot of people. I've met uh, one or two of my friends who actually have a fetish for people with disabilities. And uh, when I talk to them about it, it's respectful. Uh, They actually really find somebody with a certain um, 
disability sexy. And like I said, it's respectful. When I hear them talk about it, it's not exploitative. It's not uh, in a sense to humiliate or degrade or, or make someone feel bad. Yeah, it's it's respectful. And I talked, I had somebody who was a devotee on my show a few episodes back and we had a whole conversation and I brought up to her, I said, you know, people are really concerned about this devotee thing. What do you, what do you think? And she said, you know, I'm a devotee and she explained to me why. And by the end of the conversation, my worldview on devotees was totally shifted from, um, from like, oh my God, that's kind of weird to, all right, I respect that. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes so it's, think, sometimes it's all it takes just a conversation to really understand uh, people's motivations and their intentions behind it. Yeah, I mean, just having I mean having a conversation about kink too. I think so many disabled people, and that's why th this episode is so cool, is because so many disabled people want to be engaged in kink. When you talk to them about their sexual desires and their wants, kink a lot of the time comes up, but they have been told. They've been told that either the, the typical you shouldn't have sex because you're disabled argument, which is lame, or a newfangled one, which I've heard in the community, which is you shouldn't have kinky sex because you should be glad you're having sex at all. So Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. So I think that um, I love it when I talk to other disabled individuals who are into kink. Um, and so what kind of advice would you give to somebody? Like you, you've mentioned a couple of things here and there throughout the episode about what somebody with a disability can do. What would you advise somebody who wasn't disabled wanting to engage with somebody with a disability who's into kink? It's interesting because I was just thinking that as you were talking, how there isn't um, many doms, male or female, who have the experience or knowledge to dominate someone who has a disability. So, um, you know, I've developed a workshop. It's actually a series of three workshops on disability, discussing different kinds of disabilities. And I think that people need to start by educating themselves on first knowing and understanding what the disability or the medical condition is and how to take care of someone during a, a kink scene. You know, during a BDSM scene, I think that if you would approach the majority of DOMs, they probably wouldn't know how to take care of somebody, for example, in a wheelchair or somebody dealing with a, a, um, a disability. And I think for anybody who is in the lifestyle, who wants to, uh, I think they really should start by educating themselves. And there's so many ways to do that, you know. There's uh, every every city has... A community or or a lot of resources that help out people with disabilities. So that would be you know a good opportunity to meet people and just to talk to people one on one. Uh, obviously, you can't talk to just anybody about kink, <laughs> but I mean, no, there there must be a way that you can contact people. Uh, of course, you know, have uh, sites like FetLife. I don't know if there's other kink sites for people with uh, with disabilities. FetLife's been pretty good. I was on FetLife briefly. I found it confusing to use personally, so I got off because I was like, I don't know how to, this, it was just the website itself was not super user-friendly for me anyway. Okay. So I didn't, I wasn't on there for a long time. I might have to reactivate my account. Yeah. Um, I've, but I've heard a lot I, of people I, say that FetLife is hard to get used to, but I can assure you, I've been uh, a member there since the beginning of the site. It's, it's a very short learning curve, meaning when you get on there, it might be overwhelming, but once you really get a good understanding of how the site works, it's very easy to, to get along, to get, to get a, around the site. 
Okay, I'll give it a shot for sure because it was when I was on it, I did notice a lot of a lot of individuals with disabilities who were on there talking about you know the stuff they wanted to do, and I found it so liberating because I also wanted like I didn't I I talked to somebody on there who wanted to do some kinky stuff and it didn't end up happening, but I liked that we could have an open conversation as two disabled people who wanted to try stuff together. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was really liberating for me because typically when we talk about sex and disability, kink is not something we we start with. So I think to educate somebody with a dis- somebody who wants to engage with a disabled partner in a kink scene, we need to re- remember that in- anything they read about sex and disability is going to start literally from 101. Like, this is sex. This is what disability is. And so I think that's a lot of the trouble with anybody who's an experienced kinkster or an experienced sexual person with disabilities is they don't have resources that speak to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, uh, there, there, I think like with my workshop and I, I don't want to keep sounding like I'm plugging my workshop, but I mean, uh, I, Go ahead, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's good opportunity that, uh, you know, people should offer more, you know, talk and, and more discussions on the subject because there are a lot of people who uh, are living with disability who would like to uh, to be part of BDSM, whether in a community or at home, regardless if they do it at home or in a community, I think they still need to be educated on how to do it safely and uh, how to do it correctly and, and, and have the opportunity to meet others who, uh, who can enjoy and in participating in the, in the acts with them. Uh, for myself, uh, just, preparing the, the workshops and, and getting all the information, it was very, very educational for me. As I was getting all the information and putting everything together for the workshop, I, I, I learned a lot. And I personally would enjoy continuing to learn more. I wish there was an opportunity for me to find a way to be able to, um, to have more of a regular access to people who are interested in kink, who are living with a disability. Uh, for me, in my personal experience, so that if I ever have um, the opportunity to play with somebody who has a disability that I will know how to take care of them because it's not, it's not information that's very accessible or it's not easy to find. No, it isn't. And if, if you do find stuff on kink and disability, like we were just talking about, it's almost immediately fetishized. Mm -hmm. It's almost immediately like turning. It's like, basically you have to go on the dark internet to find it. And when you do find it, it's like really, really poorly fetishized and not, Done in a respectful way, right? It's yeah. Mm-hmm. But I agree with I agree with you. I think there needs to be more. Um, so have you not have you not had the opportunity to to play with somebody in your personal or professional experience with a to use my disability as the anchor, like with a visible disability? I have met people who have certain disabilities, but I have never done a scene with one with a disability. I've done scene with people who have had certain medical conditions that um, were considered disabilities. But as for somebody, for example, in a wheelchair, I've never done a scene with, with somebody in a wheelchair. And I only ask that because I think when you do that scene, when you do get that experience, it's going to change your whole workshop will be probably have to be reconstructed a little bit around like your experience. Because I think that as much as the disabled person wants to engage in kink, I think it's really kind of sexy and awesome to have somebody who who isn't living with with 
a visible disability experiencing what it is like to to take care of somebody with a disability in a scene and also enjoy that. Like, so I think that's going to change your whole trajectory of what you're doing. I agree. I agree completely. And uh, like you said, uh, taking care of somebody during the scene. And in my role as a dom, I identify my role and my responsibilities as taking care of the person from beginning to end. And whether it means before the scene, I sit down and I negotiate with them and I, you know, I I find out what they want to, they want to um, experience and their limitations. And then I take them through the experience. And then at the end, I take care of them at the end by talking to them and providing them aftercare. Uh, I see that as a responsibility in my role. And it's a responsibility that I enjoy taking care of somebody, you know, the whole way through. And uh, I feel like I am, you know, in a sense, uh, taking care of them within this journey, you know, their personal journey, and they're with them on the journey. Yeah. And that's awesome. I'm listening to you talk and I'm hearing you talk about how you want to take care of somebody as a dominant. And that for me, like just right there, my mind was blown because my, in my ignorance of not understanding really the, the complexity of, of that relationship to know that there's care involved, I think is really important. And to know as a disabled person, if I was to, to engage with somebody who's doing, who's doing dominance correctly or, in a more emotional way to know that I would be taken care of is really key. I think so many people with disabilities, when we engage in, in sexuality, we put up an armor within ourselves where as much as I want to show you my vulnerability, I'm also putting up a huge wall to ensure that I'm emotionally protected during the, during the scene and during the, the play or whatever it is we're doing. I'm putting up a bunch of walls because I know that this person has never experienced disability before. Usually I am their first queer cripple, as I as I like to say. And so th- what that does is that means that I have to be in control of everything. Much like how you said you're a control freak, so am I. Because I feel like if I can't control this and something goes wrong, I'm going to be without help. Right. Not not all dominants, um, you know, have the same thought process as I do. Uh, and like you said, you know, the uh, a dominant who... Um, who sees it in themselves to 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 take care of the person uh, is an important thing. And for me, for example, uh, I need to have a connection with the person during the scene. And by connection, I don't mean I need to have a, a deep, intimate relationship, but I do need to have some kind of connection where I feel that it's not just me um, manipulating the body of someone else. You know, I, I, yeah. it, it can't be separate. It can't be... I need to have, I need to, to like the person, enjoy the energy we have between the two of us. I need to know that we understand each other and that, and I think that also has to do a lot with consenting. You know, if you have to understand the other person and you have to express what you'd like to share with the other person, you know, if I want to dominate you, well, I'm going to share what I'd like to do. And I also have limitations on certain things that I don't like to do or certain things that I don't do. So we have to, you know, there has to be a compatibility for us to connect. And uh, I think that's the basis of a good, of a good scene dynamic uh, is having that connection. And for me, it's extremely important because I want to know that I know what you want to live and experience through me. And I need to know that you have faith and you have, that you trust in my experience and you trust in who I am and in my intentions to, uh, to make you live out this experience. Because I think enjoying BDSM uh, and kink to its fullest, you have to be able 
on both sides to to just allow yourselves to 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 relax and to let go and to and to kind of become one energy throughout that whole scene. And I think, I mean, just from, I'm going to be honest, just from hearing you say that right now, I was a little bit turned on. <laughs> but also um, hearing you talk about it and being able to let go, that's something I think that disabled people, when we engage in sex, this idea of letting go is for me anyway, for me personally, is tantalizing the idea of just letting go and enjoying the moment. I love that idea. The reality is so much different because, like I said, typically I'm the first disabled person they've ever played with or they've ever fucked or they've ever doing the scene with. And so I have to guide them through their whole experience when all I really want is somebody to guide me through that experience too. Sorry, I don't, I don't know what to add into that. It's... Uh, um... A lot of feelings happening there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I enjoy what you're saying. It's 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 uh, and it's it's flattering that you're turned on. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's uh, yeah. I I don't know how to to continue with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not you've really sure. I'm, I'm really stum stumped, but right now I'm I, I'm speechless. Well, I. I, I... <laughs> I'm honored to have stumped you, <laughs> um, but I I think I think that uh, I think that there needs to be we need to find a way to access to to let go of control as disabled people, and I think kink can be a safe, fun way to explore that. And I think the community of people who are into BDSM and kink need to remember that there are so many people living with different levels of disability that want to engage with them. And once they engage with them, once we engage with each other, the communities engage with each other, uh, and we start allowing for accessible spaces for munches, accessible spaces for events, we can start changing the way both communities view kink and BDSM to include everyone. I have a question for you, Andrew. You live in Toronto, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have a friend who organized an event, uh, which was... I, th I believe about a year ago or within this past year, and it was specifically a BDSM um, disability event. Do you know Do you know what event I'm talking about? I, I have not heard about that, no. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't think of the name of the event at the moment or the location, but I know that she put on the event, and it apparently was the first event of its kind in Toronto, and it, apparently it was very successful. I do know the event. Okay. <laughs> that uh, that I was actually part of that event. Okay. Um it wasn't I I helped to to coordinate that event. It wasn't technically a BDSM event. Um it was it was a sex play party with a little bit of kink in there. Okay. We didn't it wasn't uh billed as a BDSM event because we were trying to make it um as inclusive as possible. So we didn't call it a BDSM event just because we wanted to see who was going to come to the event. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I was one of the, her and I were, were part of the two of us that put it together. Okay. Well, I, I think it's a good start though. I think it's a good start. Uh, and even just to see how people are comfortable in that kind of environment, 
before you add things that are a little more intense, especially when uh, a community is not used to having regularly regular BDSM activities. Um, and, and again, I, I really wish that more BDSM events or kink events would allow the opportunity uh, physically for people with uh, disabilities to, uh, to attend. Um, and I say like physically as in some of the places aren't very easy to get to. And it could be as simple as they're not easy to get to because of the uh, the location. There's no buses that go in that area or, or something, but also getting into the building. Yeah, just getting into the building with stairs and all that kind of stuff is is typically the, the issues. And a lot, a lot of kink stuff in Toronto happens in places that are really not accessible for a wheelchair user, especially for me as an electric wheelchair user, my chair is huge. So there's no, I can't just squeeze my chair into a place and like, yeah, I'm here. It's a big ordeal. So it would be nice if the community would start to think about that. And again, it's not their fault. They've just not been exposed yep. to disability. And so I think that kink is a great place to play with the idea of um, the taboo around disability. And that's why I, I mean, that's why I do the work that I do because I, um, I enjoy playing with the, ta the taboo around, oh my God, you're sexual and disabled? Wow, you shouldn't be. Like, I like playing with that. So I think kink is a great place to kind of open that up and explore. Good, yeah. And like I said earlier, I encourage your listeners to, uh, if they'd like to participate in a munch or a an event uh, in their city, that they try to find who the organizer is and, and to just suggest that they choose a place or, or that they make a their venue accessible to them because I think it because I'm a uh, I've organized uh, over a hundred events in in my life and um, in BDSM events I mean and uh, I think if somebody would have contacted me beforehand and said you know listen I'm living I'm living with this disability and uh, I would like to come to your event is there a way that you know your event could be organized in a way that I can attend I would definitely make you know take that into consideration when I'm choosing the venue or choosing the location and uh, so I think. I think it's really important that um, that there's that contact made. Yeah, I think it's tough though because sometimes people with disabilities they you know they have trouble admitting that they're into certain things. They have trouble you know it can sometimes be really tiring to be the one to have to be like, hey, organizers, can you set this up? Like I've done it and I'll continue to do it. But there are moments where I'm like, I wish I didn't have to send this email and I wish it was just understood that I want to go. So I think that's part of the reason why. A lot of the times you don't get contact is because the person's like, I want to send this email, but I'm also annoyed that I even have to. Do you think that there's a lot of people living uh, with a disability who'd like to attend that just feel that maybe they wouldn't fit in or they wouldn't be accepted because they'd be like the only person there? Um, I think so, yeah. there's There have been a couple times where I've been at events, not specifically kink events, just events generally where I'm the only one in the chair and you... You know, you run that through your head when you're thinking about going to these events. You're like, am I going to be the only one? Or like, what if I have a more involved level of disability and I need help? And so how am I going to, how am I going to do this so that I don't have, feel like I'm a burden on everybody there? So there's a whole lot of reasons why people don't engage with the communities they want to be a part of because of this like overarching internalized ableism that we often deal with. Um and I think, yeah, I, I, I remember the first time that I wore a harness and I went out to 
to a king event i was terrified because i was like oh my god i'm wearing a harness what are, like this is <laughs> what am i doing i was so scared because i'd never experienced that and i'd never like i was the only one in a wheelchair wearing a harness and i was like okay this is me expressing my sexuality yay but also holy shit i'm the only one in the chair wearing a harness <laughs> so there was there was definitely some fear there yeah well that's okay but see when when you went through it i mean you you were maybe a little uncomfortable but now you've you enjoy sharing the story and you know you're even laughing about it so that's a good thing it's a good thing yeah no i mean now now i would wear now now i like actually i'm really into harnesses now partly because and i talked about this in a previous episode partly because i i like to you know that's my expression of sex um so i like being able to say like yeah i'm wearing this to show you that i am as i'm wearing this right now I'm I'm showing the world that I basically like to fuck. <laughs> okay, I'm actually curious. You know, can can we talk a little bit about your kinks and your fetishes, or what interests you? Uh, sure, we can. My kinks. I mean, I guess when I, this is gonna sound super cheeseball. <laughs> my biggest kink is vulnerability and getting and being really intimate with the person really fast. And I think that's partially because I don't even know if that's a kink. Um, <laughs> I think it is. Because typically in my queer male community, the whole idea of relationships and getting to know somebody when you're having sex is rare. So the idea that somebody wants to spend time like getting to know me is something that I'm really into and really into that like emotional attachment. Much like you said earlier how you need to have a connection with the person you're going to do a scene with. I'm the same way. I need to, I need to be connected with you like... Not quickly, but quickly enough that we can enjoy what's happening, mm-hmm. and I can feel I can feel safe. Um, in terms of my more, I guess more con- like conventional kinks, I like to be, I like to be. How do I word this? I like to be roughed up a little bit <laughs> because, and I think I talked about this earlier because people don't want it. People are afraid to touch me sexually, generally, just generally, like having to, being touched. As a disabled person, doesn't really happen very often the way that I want it to. So, the fact that somebody would would be able to touch me in a way that's not super rough, and obviously there's consent involved, and we have a discussion beforehand about what I'm looking for, or during about what I want to have happen. Um, but I think the first time I was like roughed up a little bit, it was nice because I could I could relax, and I didn't have to. I had no control over what was happening. And that was a different sensation for me because typically I had, when I have sex with somebody, I control the whole event from start to finish because I'm, like I said, I'm their first queer crippled person that they're, they're messing about with. So I have to make sure they're okay. So to, to have that control taken away and to have it switched around a bit, it was really nice. How do you identify with the power dynamic? Do you identify as being dominant, switch, submissive? Top. That's a good question. I haven't uh, really done enough to to label to give myself a proper label. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I guess I'm a switch. I like to play with both roles. Um, am, am I using that term correctly? Say it again. Am I using the term switch correctly? Well, uh, keep going. Explain what you what you mean by switch. So not so so. I like to kind of play with the dominant and submissive roles. Yes, yeah, it could be seen as switch. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I have, but I haven't really given myself. I haven't really had enough experience 
I mean, d- just having sex can sometimes be months and months apart when you have, live with a disability. It isn't something that is easily accessible. So I haven't had enough sexual experience to really, especially kink experience, to really to know enough what I would like. But I know the idea of dominance and submission on both sides for me is exciting because it's something that is, again, taboo, which is which is already something that sex and disability is. So there's something kind of kind of exciting about that. So if, if we were negotiating a scene right now and I was in the role of Dom and you were in the role of Sub, what would be your limitations? What would you want me to know about you that would be important for me to to know to take care of you during a scene? What would I want you to know about like my body yeah. or about... Well, like what you want to push or the limits you want to push or what limits you already have. Um, your soft okay. soft limits or hard limits. Um, Do you understand the, the two? Soft limit, hard limit? I think so. Okay. Can, you, can you elaborate? Yeah, so a soft limit is something that you're interested in experiencing if even only once. You're pretty much open-minded to it. Uh, it's either something that you've done before that you know you like, uh, something that you've been interested in and you think you'll like, or just something that really interests you that you'd like to do it at least once. And hard limits something that you know absolutely that you would not like to do ever under any circumstance. All right. Well, so I can give you I can give you some hard limits right now. Okay. Uh, too much pain because of the disability and the spasms make pain more intense with my level of cere- of cerebral palsy that I have. So too much pain. A little bit of pain is okay. Um, because I think again because of the spasms, the pain can be exciting. Uh, any kind of like bodily fluids outside of what would normally be happening <laughs> would be a hard limit for me. Okay. <laughs> um, and then any kind of, yeah, yeah. Those, I mean, those are pretty much the only hard limits I can think of right now. Again, I have to be put in a situation where I could learn what my limits are because, because again, because sex is so, sex and disability is so new for, for me as the one experiencing it and as the partner that I'm with typically is also really new to it. I haven't really had the chance to really be able to, to define my hard limits. Okay, which is fine because it's all part of your journey in this lifestyle. So, And that's what keeps it exciting is it's always new. If BDSM, I've been in it 15 years and I'm still discovering new things, uh, whether about different kinds of play or different ways that I can enjoy dynamic or even about myself. So BDSM is exciting that way because it's always, you know, it's, it's, and I know we use the term sexual often, but it's also sensual. We learn a lot about our sensual side and our sexual side and um, not only what excites us and, and how to get gratified, but also, you know, what, what we need, you know, it's something as, as simple as going through a scene and after the scene, you get comforted by the Dom who holds you in his arms and talks to you and, and, you know, just rubs his fingers on your on your arm or something and saying, you know, okay, how how was the scene? How did you enjoy it? You know, I think the sensual side is just as important as the sexual side. I I would say as a as a very visibly severely sexy disabled person, <laughs> I would I would I would suggest that the sensual side is so much more important because typically when I'm with somebody sexually, um and I'm using the I'm I'm gonna draw draw a distinction between sexual and sensual here when i'm with somebody sexually we get off and they go and we're done i 
I have yet to really be with somebody sensually almost, if I'm, if I'm being really honest. Okay. Because, um, because people are, oftentimes when they engage in sex with me, they're kind of afraid that it just happened. And so they kind of run out of, <laughs> they, they leave without really allowing that aftercare. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that idea of being with somebody sensually is really, now that you brought it up, it's really exciting for me. The whole idea of having that experience afterwards is kind of cool. Again, it's a, like like I said earlier, it's important to have that connection because you know if you have that connection, that person's going to stay and that person's going to want to, you know, talk to you afterwards and and and, uh, and have that central side. If it's physical gratification, which sex normally is uh, or generally is, well, of course, you know, once the physical act is over, then okay, what more do we have to say to each other? <laughs> so if there's that connection, then um, there's more opportunity to have the, the sensual side included in the, in the sexual side. And of course, the more that there is, there is a connection and a sensual side, the, the more exciting the sexuality is, in my personal opinion. I, I agree, I think. But I think because disability is so new to so many people, the fact that they just, they just engage with the um, sexual side is enough. They haven't gone deeper into the central side to really get to know who they just spent time with. Right. And that's why I think kink can, and, and BDSM can be so powerful within the disability community because if we start to look at it more, and even just from this conversation, from what I'm understanding, if we start to look at it more, um, we might find a way to communicate that we haven't been exposed to yet as disabled people. Right. And it's important that uh, your listeners understand also that BDSM isn't just about the physical gratification and the, and the scene. So it's not just about being tied up and fucked and, or, um, you know, whipped. And it's, it, you know, there's also another part of BDSM and uh, it's the most important part uh, I find is, uh, is the dynamic that you have with your partner. So it's not just a physical act. It's not just um, a sexual release that there's, you can have a, a type of relationship. And maybe it's not a romantic relationship like we have in, in vanilla or in everyday life, but it is still an important relationship and, uh, and one that, that exists out there. So people who are living with a disability, who are looking to have a BDSM experience, well, it's not just you're going to find a dom and he's going to scene with you and then the scene's going to be over you you know there may still be the opportunity to have something a little a little more of that uh, meaningful and deep uh and uh, yeah i think that depth is really lacking and so i think just lacking generally within within the discussions around disability and sex which is why i you know which is why i generally i do what i do so i think i i mean i would love to explore the bdsm community more myself um so if anybody listening there organizes events or wants to talk to me about it, I would love to speak with you because it's something we, I think we need to bring disability into kink and kink into disability. Um, and I think that relationship could be really strong. Absolutely. And I'm there by your side, pushing you uh, to get it out there and to get people talking about it and, and, and offering the opportunities to people who have that need and that, that want to experience the BDSM lifestyle. Fantastic. So, Severin Kane, how do people get a hold of you? How can they, if they want to talk to you more about your workshops, I want to talk to you more about your workshops after we're done this, because we should do one together. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but how, <laughs> how, how, do, how can we get a hold of you? 
There's uh, a lot of ways to get a hold of me. Um, generally, I'd say the best way to, to get a hold of me is through Facebook. And you can find me on there uh, simply with searching Severin Kane. And I'm sure you'll probably have the proper spelling of my name um, along with the podcast. It'll, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, there's a way to contact me there. If not, contacting me by email, uh, either a Hotmail or Gmail. I have an account in both. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. I'll make sure to have that all out. It was such a... It was a really surprisingly deep conversation. Yeah. It went deeper than I no, thought. No, I really enjoyed this, Andrew. It was great. I really, I really appreciate your time. Um, and you and I are going to talk when this thing is done because I have many, many things I'd like to to discuss with you. So I want to thank you so much for coming on today, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Wowee. I had to take a minute after that interview and kind of take a breather because that was hot. Just hearing Master Severin Kane talk about aftercare and talk about the, the distinction between physical gratification and sensual gratification and talking about how all that would interplay with kink, I was definitely, I had both an emotional heart on and a physical one for sure because it was like, wow, all these things, all these worlds are colliding and you're saying it in such a concise clear way that I was just immediately drawn to him and I think that if you are a disabled person looking to get into kink you should contact him and we should all do stuff together we should go to munches together and munches if you don't know if you were if you were listening to the episode being like what's a munch a munch is a gathering of of BDSM kink people where they can it's like a it's like a salon a meeting of kinky people and I think that we should have more munches that are accessible and we should definitely talk about BDSM and kink in disabled communities and disability in kink communities and so this conversation isn't the first and it won't be the last but I'm glad we could have it on the show thanks for listening to this episode of disability after dark the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability if you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support Cripple content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.